0: Hey there. Welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, editor in chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I'm talking with Farah Scott, the CEO of Trapper's Sushi Company, a full service sushi joint based in Washington state that has grown to 15 locations across three states. Farah has a remarkable story as uh, she recently was named CEO, but she started as a server at Trappers 11 years ago and worked her way up into the chief executive role. But her story is not an anomaly. Trappers has a long track record of developing its employees, which includes a more recent program of providing employees with an opportunity to own their own stores. Farah joined the podcast to talk about Trapper's ambitious employee ownership goal and how it has built an infrastructure for its culture that has led to turnover rates that are half the industry standard. In this conversation, you will learn more about why you should consider your employees to be your future owners, why you should embrace constant evolution in order to achieve your goals, and why you sometimes need to prioritize the needs of your consumers. Over authenticity. Jumping now into my interview with Trapper's Sushi Company CEO Farah Scott. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my six takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. Okay, I'm here with Farah Scott, the CEO of Trapper's Sushi Company. Farah, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, so Farrah, um, exciting news, uh, which is that you've just been elevated to the CEO position, but you've been with yeah. Trappers for several years, and we're going to get into that. Um, but as a, ba- a brand based in Washington State, as I was telling you, I'm on the East Coast, so I, I wasn't too familiar with Trappers. Um, for those who might not be familiar with this brand, give us a little synopsis of what it's all about.
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, the company is 20 years old this August, and um, we started out in Bonnie Lake. Um, it's a probably town that you never heard of in Washington. Um, and at that time it was called sushi town, um, Trapper O'Keefe, the founder, um, opened the restaurant with his best friend, Tim. They came from, um, working in a casino at making sushi at a sushi bar and they're running that restaurant. Um, essentially they built their, their fan base and their business just off of, um, you know, building guest relations with their customers, um, learning the customer's name, um building a really good rapport and then it just kind of blew up. They opened their second location a few years later in Covington and that one was the first official trappers, if you will. And then it just kind of skyrocketed from there. They ended up rebranding the Bonnie Lake one then to trappers to be consistent. And then we opened third, fourth, excuse me, fifth, 6th, 7th, 8th, when I came on, it was, um, it's pretty crazy. Um, and it it just took off from there. We're now in three states. We're in, um, we have 11 locations in Washington. We have three in Arizona going on four next month. And then one in San Antonio going on a second in Texas in June. Um, so our mission at, Statem- uh, at Trapper's is um, to provide the guests with um, the best food and service possible, leaving them with a craving to come back and learning their names. And that's kind of how we've built our brand and stayed successful. Um, we're super well known in Washington State. Um, we're, I think, the only sushi chain left up here. So um, we have a lot of fan base and we're trying to build that in the other two markets right now. So it's very exciting.
0: Yeah, that is exciting. So is this all corporate growth or are you franchising at all or is it it's all corporate?
1: So um, the interesting thing about Trappers and what makes us um, very different from a lot of competitors, corporate and just mom and pop sushi restaurants is um, we the majority of our stores are corporate owned. Um, our San Antonio location that opened at the end of 2022, that is our first employee owned partnership so trapper has been um, we implemented a program where he's um, giving opportunity to employee-owned partners and he's going in at a 49 51 split with them and essentially gifting them that opportunity so no money up front on the employee side and um, they work it off and um, then they they get to split the profits with them and um, our operator down in san antonio he was the first one to receive that opportunity we awarded him that in 2017. It took us some years to figure out how we were going to do it, but we did it finally. And our, um, our second employee owned is going to be the one that we open in Arizona next month. And that is going to um, a wonderful woman that's worked for us for, um, I think, going on seven to eight years. And um, someone that we actually named our leadership growth program after in the company. So um, great opportunities here at Trapper's. Um, yeah. so yeah, so two of them, of the 17 that we'll have by summer are going to be employee owned partnerships, which is super exciting. Um, our goal is to have a hundred employee owned partnerships. Uh,
0: that's awesome. And, mm-hmm. and, and let's, let's go ahead and stick right here for, cause this is why, what really jumps out at me about trappers is the investment that you are putting in the people and it includes you. Now you mm-hmm. started as a server for trappers, is that yeah. right? And you worked your way up to CEO?
1: Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so
0: that's very exciting and very yeah. unique. And I, I, I guess I would start by asking: like, is that was that a part of this culture that clearly is very dedicated to employees? Were you a part of this investment that you guys seem to be putting into employees?
1: So, you know, it's it's, it's that's an interesting question. So I came on board with Trappers when I was 21 years old at a Bremerton location, it was very small location none of our, none of our locations look like that conceptually. Now they're a lot larger, but we had, I think we were at store number six at that point. And coming in, there was no talk about all this opportunity that there was at hand. Um, Basically it was, it was a great concept, you know, we were making good money as hourly staff, you know, tip wise, and it was really cool, you know, seeing, you know, People like me making sushi, learning that you know from dishwashing to making sushi, You know, 21, 22-year-old guys being able to make a great wage in the restaurant industry, and then being a server involved in that, it was just really cool. And I think over time, as I worked here and worked my way up, it kind of just grew into this huge employee opportunity. And I think the founder, Trapper O'Keefe, that was always his passion, was to help people in the restaurant industry provide opportunities that they wouldn't really have. But it really just started coming into fruition as we grew more and more. And we decided to make huge culture changes within the organization. And um, I'd like to say that I was I was a big part of that for sure. Um, And I mean, a lot of the people that work for us still and that have been with us for a long time have kind of set that tone for the business. Um, It's very tight knit here where, you know, everybody that's worked here, um, you know, that's been around for 11 years or eight years like myself, it's kind of like we've all watched each other grow up. It's kind of crazy, and um, there's yeah. so many key people that have worked here for a long time, and it's just it's just a really cool dynamic. Um, and you know, coming on, I didn't know that I was going to be the CEO of this company, and <laughs> I'm sure a lot of the people that are in leadership um, roles, and you know, our our partner down in San Antonio had no idea that it was gonna it was gonna turn into that, and. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. It's just an amazing company and to, to be able to have watched it turn into that when it's just started as a, just a job, restaurant, cool concept into something a lot bigger is, is amazing. So. Yeah. Well, and credit
0: to whoever identified the leadership qualities in you. Clearly, somebody recognized that and, and invested in you and gave you that yeah. opportunity. Uh, but, but I'm curious about sort of the structure of it because mm-hmm. I, I, I was doing some research and I, I was learning about the Trap Check program you guys have. You know, it seems like you guys do have some structure to how you invest in employees. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. So, in about I believe it was 2018, um, the founder Trapper O'Keefe he he wanted to set some core values in his mission statement that's when he came up with his mission statement in clarity what i just recited to you earlier and then the trap check is kind of our core values so it's it's pretty it's pretty basic and pretty you would like to think common sense you know when conducting yourselves but um it stands for teamwork respect accountability professionalism communication honesty and kindness and um it's all over the place at trappers it's in our employee handbooks the management training materials everything like that we really really pushed really hard with it when we implemented it in 2018 and it was kind of the missing piece that trappers had we all knew That the people that were conducting themselves that way were the ones that were getting these internal promotions that had this you know elevated growth with the company but to put it down on on paper and make it a requirement in order to stay employed here even was huge um we have a leadership program that started in um i I started it in uh, january 1st of 2022 so it's still pretty new it's called the wingfield program um and that program is kind of like a extension of our culture and i have about 80 people in the company enrolled in it right now and it's for anybody in the company that is interested in the same um, growth opportunity that i myself had or the the woman that i named it after mariah wingfield what she had in the company going from a host to a regional manager in less than five years was her experience um so that kind of ties into the whole trap check mentality the mission statement trapper's purpose um and it provides you know, ordinary people with an extraordinary opportunity. And that's Trapper's Purpose for this company. Oh, uh, so so I mean, all of that, it just kind of all intertwines together and everything's kind of came, you know, with pieces, you know, so, you know, it was the trap check and then it's the, you know, Trapper's Purpose and the Wingfield program and our mission statement. It all kind of intertwines. And um, you know, the 80 people that we have in our program right now, the Wingfield program, they all embody those values. And we decided to start that program just so we could start you know, showing the progression, you know, they talk about me and oh, she went from server to CEO in in 11 years. But we also have several people that went from assistant management to regional management in less than two years, you know, so it's just a big group of people that have had similar stories um, and are in line for that next opportunity.
0: Well, there's only one CEO job. So you're not going to create a, a structure to show how people can get to CEO. Yes. However, you can create a structure to show them how they can be, become a, a regional manager. But And that's where I love that ownership program. Um, you know, t- tell me about how something like that comes together, because I imagine at some point Trapper's asking himself, you know, do I want to take outside investment? Do I want to franchise? You know, you, you look at the growth path available. At some point, there must have been that conscious decision made why don't we grow the quasi-franchise structure, but keep it in-house to our people? What was the thought process that went into developing that, the ownership program specifically?
1: So he, um, he did entertain, you know, just a normal franchise model where they, some get sold out, you know, some employees have opportunity things like that. But it was really came down to just providing that extraordinary opportunity. I mean, an ownership program to go in as a partner with him is such a huge thing that a lot of a lot of people in the restaurant industry would never have an opportunity to do the level of support that we give to the employee owned partnerships. I mean, they have all of the corporate team at their disposal for anything that they need. It's set up. So, I mean, we, the selection process for it, you know, it's, it's pretty intense. We're not just, you know, throwing people into it, but I mean we're 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 setting them up so it's almost impossible for them to fail in that ownership role and I think it's just it's more of a comfortable comfortability thing too to go in as a partner with trapper in that um it's it's it It, it ensures that our brand is going to be you know consistent and the people that are running these stores are true trap checkers is what we like to say and bought into the business. And, um, again, it's just, it's just such an amazing opportunity. And I think it's a little less intimidating for, you know, these employee owned partners to go in as a partner with somebody that's been running the business that can help with, you know, legality things can, can answer questions. And it's more of that partnership and team than just, you know, here you go, here's this, that's on, it's on you now you're going to run it, you know, good luck. You know, it's more Mm -hmm. of a, it's more of just. What Trappers is about is staying tight it like a family and and really, you know, driving the growth of the business and success together.
0: Well, clearly, if if there's still a fifty one forty nine split, Trapper still has a sizable amount of skin in the game here. So it's in the company's best interest to make sure that works. Um, you know, talk. You, you talked about some of the you know the trap check the co- the core values. Um, tell me about some of the specific um traits you're looking for in somebody that you would award this ownership to and 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 how long I mean you said it's been like 7 years since you identified the first one how long does it take to say oh this person's got what it takes to the point where you're handing them keys
1: um well luckily for us the two the two partners that we that my boss has signed on with it, they're I mean they're no brainers uh it was they're they're 100% trap check employees Hardest working people I've ever worked with, both of them, um, are so invested in the business that, you know, you can, you can just tell that they care about the customers, their employees. Um, you know, a big thing that sets us apart is, you know, our relationships that we build within the organization with our employees and the care that we have for them. And, you know, I think that's a big part of offering somebody an ownership opportunity is if they're going to take care of their people, because if they're taking care of their people, their people are going to take care of the guests, and it's going to be a more of a successful operation. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we, you know, we have the interview process that we've done, we've you know, we have this criteria of, you know, they have to get through, you know, at the minimum general management training, so they know how to operate. But ultimately, it comes down to them embodying our culture and just being a good person and somebody that we trust to run the business. And um, it's, I you know, I'm speaking for Trapper, but you know, when he signed on with Josh in San Antonio, it was almost like he had no, no nervousness, no fear, no, no doubt in him. It was just, it was such a, it's such a, you know, so much confidence in, in him to run the store how it's supposed to be ran. And, you know, hopefully he has more opportunity to, you know, sign on for a second, third one in the future. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a unique, unique, um, opportunity that, you know, we, we haven't really, you know had any doubts with the two that we've we've given so far and and we're hoping that with this wingfield program and building that trust within that leadership program and we have these people ready to step up you know we we have the front runners and we already know who's going to be next up for the for the offer so um i think that program has helped the selection process a lot because they during that during those meetings you know they come in every six months to do like a leadership uh like workshop with me if you will Where we just talk about, that's why the board behind me, you know, we just talk about what it means to be a trapper's leader, what sets us apart from other businesses um and i go over some things that are happening in the company challenges that i'm having in my position if they have any ideas to help you know we have everybody here in corporate marketing department it hr and we're all having a big discussion with these hourly or score level employees and they're bought in they're you know they're giving feedback they're interactive and you can kind of tell who's you know more at that elevated level ready to take the next step in their career here and it's really awesome to see
0: yeah Do, do you have any kind of um uh, examples of how this has really helped. I, I'm, I'm sure it helps retention, right? And in this yeah. era where labor is so tough, this kind of a models exactly what restaurants should be thinking about doing to recruit and retain employees. Have you seen that that's had a, a really tangible effect on retention?
1: Absolutely. Um, We you know, we keep we have an HR department here, you know, and we keep track of retention and turnover and things like that. And um, our turnover is half of what the industry standard is right now um, here at Trappers, which is insane. Um, And I think it has a lot to do with the growth opportunity. I mean, the fact that, you know, the majority of people that are in general management positions right now for our company started out as an hourly, you know, dishwasher, cook, server. Um, you know, employees getting onboarded to that, they see that. And, and, you know, one thing that I've noticed just over the 11 years that I've worked in this company, um, I've been in the restaurant industry probably for only 13. I mean, I pretty much grew up here. But, you know, a lot of people were coming in working at the restaurant, and they were in college, or they were in, you know, doing something else as a pastime, they were still living with their parents, you know, they were just trying to get money to for their weekends or whatever. And I've noticed that a lot more people are coming into our business that they just really don't know what they want to do. And then mm. you know they start enjoying the job here. they enjoy the restaurant industry, and maybe they thought that they were going to have a career in a different field someday, but then they end up realizing like, "Oh wow, I can stay in the restaurant industry and have a career and you yeah. know make make a livable wage and and move move up and have a purpose and help others do the same and I, and it's been super powerful, I think, for our brand and for retention for sure and um the key people in our company have stories similar to mine. Um, and they're the ones that are leading this and, and for, for their subordinates to see that, it's, it's amazing for, for some people that, you know, would never think that they could, they could be a general manager of a store or a partner or part of a corporate team ever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just got to show it to them for, to get them to, to buy yeah. in and to understand how that can be possible. Well, and, and you you are this great model of what could be for restaurant employees. Um, and, and and I'm curious about, um, you know, what you feel like you've learned on your journey. Because going from server to CEO in 11 years, um, you, you must have such a distinct perspective on what you can bring to Trappers, how you can relate to employees, how you can continue to develop that culture. Tell me about some of those lessons What are some of the things you feel like you can bring to this position as CEO that you brought with you along the way?
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of ways that I look at that and, you know, depending on where, what stage somebody's at in their career in the restaurant industry, it depends on my answer Um, because I've done so much and I've held so many positions in the last 11 years, store level and in corporate, just different, Um, you know, it's, it's it's really pretingent on where they're at. And, you know, when hourly employees, I've had a couple come up to me in the past when I, I was COO previously for the last two and a half years, you know, they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, what's, what's your advice for me? And hourly employees, I'm like, you know, be dependable, come here on time, be the person your manager can call and have a great attitude while you're here. It's pretty basic. Right. Yeah. And, you know, treat others well, follow the trap check. And then when it gets up to, you know, corp- my corporate team and, you know, coaching them, it's just essentially, you know, like do the right thing, do what you know is it's supposed to get done. Doesn't matter who's looking, just do it, get the job done. Might not go, it might go unnoticed or you feel like right now, but it's going to pay off, you know, and mm-hmm. it's that's yeah. it's hard, you know, getting that through to some people in this industry because, you know, they're used to working in places that maybe there's not a whole lot of opportunity. But like you said, you know, leading with that and saying, this is the opportunity. And, you know, I've learned a lot of things. From going from that position to this position, all the in between, working for managers, you know, that maybe I didn't feel like were the best fit for the position, but it never, it never, um, deterred me away from doing what I was supposed to do and my responsibilities. And I think a lot of times in in all industries, you get caught up on worrying about what the leader's doing or what they're not doing or, what other people are doing and what you're not getting and you kind of got to put that aside and focus on your own goals and yourself and keep pushing forward and it doesn't matter if if there's obstacles in your way you just got to get through them and push through them and you can and it's 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 one of those things where i think that kind of goes for anybody that's trying to be successful in anything they're trying to do is you know there's going to be a lot of distractions there's going to be a lot of people that maybe aren't performing or doing what you're doing and and getting recognized and You're not, but as long as you keep your head down and you keep pushing through, it's going to pay off in one way or another. It might not be a CEO position, but you're going to be okay, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the hardest, the most, the most, you know, well-rounded advice I've given anybody at any level. It's just, just keep pushing through and don't, and don't get distracted. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's super, it's super important. And I think that was the biggest thing that I, that I learned and, um, you know, communicating, um, you know, effectively when you do see those issues and, and see those problems and, and, and then leaving it at that and, you know, expressing right. how you feel and, and then that's it. And then get back to work. So. Yeah.
0: That was just wise words. Wise words. Um, yeah, I'm wondering, um, what kind of vision you feel like you bring into this position? Because again, you've, you've worked so many positions mm-hmm. in this company, you've spent 11 years, uh, there must have been some things that you you thought about the company. Like, I think we couldn't do this, or I, if if I was CEO, I, I'm going to do this. Now that you are CEO, what do you hope to accomplish? What kind of vision do you have for this company that you feel like you can bring into this position?
1: To start, you know, to start with a big reason why I'm in the position I am is because I I share my the founder's vision and it's to provide, to give extraordinary opportunity to ordinary people. I mean, I, I know I keep saying that, but it's, it's what I've, it's what I've been trying to do since I stepped into the management capacity in 2014 as an assistant manager of a store, right? It's been trying to motivate individuals that are in this industry to want to better their lives and turn it into something bigger than just a job. And, um, You know as far as you know being the ceo of the company i didn't i didn't apply for the job it was it was you know i don't think i've ever applied for any position in this in this company it's just been offered and um my 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 boss i still say he's you know trapper he's he saw see something in me to lead this company and, and live out his vision of getting to that hundred stores and i think dynamically what I bring to the table as a CEO is just like I mentioned before it's just head down and, and getting the work done that needs to be getting done um, I've implemented a lot of structural things in this company the past um, eight years that I've been at a corporate capacity and um, that have pushed us forward for sure with the help of uh, you know a great team and just continuing that and and not you know getting complacent and saying oh we're doing well right now everything seems to be good but it's not we're not at 100 employee partnerships so there's still work to get done and that's the mentality i've always had and i think that that's what i bring to this position and that's what my what what trapper sees and why and why he made this decision is because it's it's one of those things where it's i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stop until until we get there so and then once we get there there's gonna be another goal that was gonna be set and then i'm gonna go until i get to that goal so um (laughs) i think to dynamically for you know team members is to express that to my team directly and, and it trickles down saying you know hey we're, we have we have things to do yes we're operating restaurants on a daily basis serving food giving good guest service but we also have all these goals to reach and everybody that works here is involved in those goals i mean they might not think that they're contributing to those goals but they are i mean us opening the restaurants every right. day operating that's what's helping us grow um, and providing this opportunity and and making sure that everybody knows how important their, the piece that their piece to this puzzle is, um, I think is something dynamically that, you know, I would like to really, really convey all the way down to, you know, dishwashers, cooks, sushi chefs, store management, um, because it's, it's what it is. It's, it's super, they're super important.
0: Right. That 100, uh, uh, employee owned restaurant goal you have, um, that's a lot. I mean, and, and it, I saw a figure on your website. You have about 700 employees, I think, in the system. Maybe that's yeah. more now. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, there's a lot of work. And, and inherently, that's a slow uh, process to invest internally. Um, and, and, and certainly for a company like Trappers with 15 locations, you, I'm, I'm sure you've had any number of investment groups, waving lots of money at you to say, let's like slam the accelerator and skip that whole employee owned thing. Let's just go for 102 years and call it a day. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of intentional growth, I guess that you have to put into that and pacing that you have to put into that. How how do you ensure that you guys are doing that properly? And you've talked about some of that structure, so not to rehash all of that, Mm -hmm. but like, even just to say to get to a hundred from 15 and do it all through that internal growth. Um, I I guess what are some of the, the, um, you know, what's some of that groundwork you have to put in to make sure that the pacing is right, you don't get out over your skis?
1: Yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, cash flow is a big thing, you know, making sure that we're, you know, profit, the most profitable we could be with the current locations, because ultimately, you know, that's what's going to fund our growth. Um, Operational, you know, standards. I mean, we, we have ops manuals that, you know, started as, you know, this thick and now are this thick, um, through the progression of my career here, um, ensuring those are, are fine tuned, um, our processes of getting the locations open, the build outs. I mean, there's so many. There's so many things that go into it. Um, starting a new market, you know, if we go out of state in a different state, that's even a longer process. So fine-tuning with vendors, um, trying to get on national level accounts for proprietary items that we carry at Trappers. I mean, there's there's a laundry list of things operationally that we we are still fine-tuning because we're at kind of this point where we have the 15 locations going on 17, but we're pushing through the ceiling of, you know, being a national brand, essentially. And it's very new. Our first out of state was um, in 2021 in the summer. And there's a lot of things that come along with that changes and, um, you know, ensuring that the consistency and everything stays the same, opening a restaurant and putting an operator there that knows what they're doing. That's the easy part. It's all the other back end things leading up to that's challenging, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure we're selecting sites correctly based off of, you know, you know, our, our demographic customer basis and things like that. Um, you know, just this year, the end of this year and, and beginning of end of 2023 and beginning of 2024, we've, you know, we're starting to implement a lot of different, a lot of different programs into our, into our workflow or, you know, um, we're, we're integrating the app right now to improve the guest customer service. You know, we're looking at bringing on, you know, a, a company that helps us with site selection, you know, things like that, that it's ever evolving that we haven't had to think about, but it's all about how we're going to scale this. And to be honest with you, Sam. I have no idea right now how we're going to get to hundred. I can't tell you exactly how we're going to do it, but we know we're going to get it done. Um, yeah. And it's just being open to that constant evolution and, and getting what, you know, what's out there to offer to help us assist this and, and having those great programs integrated into our workflow and system when we're making decisions um, for, you know, more of the, more of the operational things leading up. And, you know, we have, luckily, we have a lot of great people here at Trappers and, um, you know, the, the people part used to be the part that stressed us out about, you know, how are we going to open even a corporate store over here or over there? But our culture has grown so much and is so strong that, you know, the individual selection, that's almost the easiest part right now. It's all the other mm. things, you know? And so, um, this year, you know, it, that's, that's one of my primary goals is to kind of, you know, fine tune that process a little bit, see how many locations we could realistically open in the next year, the next five years. And and try to do it at a more accelerated rate because that's what's going to have to happen ultimately, and it's going to take a lot of yeah. work.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Big job ahead of you. Yes. Uh, fun job. I think you probably have a lot of fun with that, but but a yeah. lot of problem solving that you're going to have to be doing along the way. Um, shifting gears a little bit, you know. I, I think we should also say. I mean, sushi chain. You know that that is actually fairly rare. I mean, I don't think the sushi category. I think is. Primarily a category of independence, less so than multi units, uh, or at least chain size multi units. Uh, I'm curious about your impression of the competitive set because you know you're big in Washington State, where fresh seafood and sushi is obviously huge. Um, you've identified the Sun Belt clearly as mm-hmm. your opportunity for growth. I'm sure that's intentional. Um, but what do you view as being sort of the state of the sushi industry and Trappers' role in it?
1: So Trappers is you know, a lot of, a lot of times people are like, you know, trappers is, 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 is not real Japanese cuisine. Well, we don't, we don't claim to be first off, we don't claim right. to be a Japanese restaurant. Um We're a sushi restaurant and we know that we're very um different than, you know, traditional Japanese sushi. And I always tell people you can like trappers and you can also like traditional sushi. So um that's right. kind of, you know, that's kind of the message we get, we get out there Um as far as, you know, how it how it's how it sets us apart i mean just the opportunities and the 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 what we give back to the community which we haven't really talked about and the things trappers does internally is really what sets us apart um food wise concept wise i mean our food's great it's very you know people say it's very americanized sushi it is you know first time sushi eaters come in and they've never had sushi before they're gonna like something on our menu it's not intimidating it's very easy it's very relatable um the people you know the individuals we have serving the sushi They're very, very well versed in our menu, our products and things like that. And they can have that conversation with guests and fit them with, you know, what they, what they, what they want. Um, you know, our all you can eat aspect is very different than what a lot of restaurants do where, you know, the customers can sit up at the sushi bar, order as much food as they want for a set price and they're not paying by plate or, you know, by ticket or anything like that. They're just receiving an all you can eat experience made to order by a chef. And, you know, we kind of pride ourselves on the chef position a little bit because our chefs are kind of like sushi bartenders, if you will. They're sitting there having that conversation, talking to the guests, building that rapport. And it just kind of sets us apart from a lot of the competition. Um, And it's just a whole it's just a different experience when you come into Trapper's than any other sushi restaurant or any other fast casual restaurant for that manner. Um, it's just different. You walk into a Trapper's, you have the sushi bar, you know, front and center, right when you walk in, you see chefs making food right in front of you, the cooks are right behind them, you can see everything that's going on in the kitchen. And it's just different. It's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a buzz in our restaurants where you kind of hear the conversations going with the chefs over at a table over here. You know, you hear, you know, conversations going on over here with this chef, you know, and it's, it's really cool. And, and I've, I've never been to a restaurant that's anything like it.
0: So you said sushi bar and fast casual in the same sentence. How, how would you describe your service model?
1: So, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's, pretty, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's fast casual restaurant, you know, approachable sushi, um, is what I like to say. And, and it's, um, just that, you know, the, the fact that we have, you know, an all you can eat dynamic going on with, you know, dine in service, that's, you know, quick and, um, you know, it's it's pretty unique, and they have a couple options when they come in as as what kind of experience they want, and we take pride in our service standards and things like that with our with our service staff too, and and they're well trained on both both service settings, and um, yeah, it's just an experience. I, I it's hard to it's hard to really explain, you know, and and the people that are the trappers fanatics that we have they love it. You know, they'll, they'll come Mm. in twice a week. That's unheard of for, you know, a corporate, you know, corporate restaurant chain to for customers to be back in multiple times a week and, and want to sit in front of the same chef and want to have the same experience. And they just, they love it. So.
0: Well, yeah, it's just, it's, it's such an interesting hybrid there because to have a chef right in front of you preparing Mm. sushi rolls, you can sit there and, and, and watch the chef. I mean, that doesn't scream fast casual to me. So clearly you guys have taken that the convenient nature of fast casual and the fast service and um, counter service model, but applied a lot of quality to it as well. Um, but but tell me about, you know, your, your sort of in-store operation, because are is our most orders to go are most people out of there or people like to sit there a lot of people like to sit at the bar as you say what does all of that look like what's the makeup of your dine in and take out I mean
1: we so we're a full service restaurant I don't know if that was a misunderstanding when I said fast casual but we're full service um, so we okay. have we have table we have table um table service we have the sushi bar service and then we have to go um you know after covid our to go business kicked up a lot and kind of remained there I think that happened for a lot of restaurants um Depending on what location, dep- it depends on the to-go volume. I mean, we have, we have a big differentiation between locations on to-go volume, um, up here. But, you know, we're doing a, on average about 20% to-goes out of our, out of our restaurants right now. Um, we do participate in like the third-party apps, Storedash, Uber Eats, and everything like that. Um, and so that's, that's a big chunk of it. But when, um, people mainly are coming in to dine in, I mean, they, they do table service. A lot of the sushi bar is very, very, um, in high demand. So there's usually long waits for that. You can only get the all you can eat at the sushi bar. Um, Mm. but we have people come in for happy hour. I mean, we have people come in for our daily specials, dine in. Um, it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty good balance of, of all three for the all you can eat, um, dine in and to goes, um, We prefer, you know, giving the dine-in or the all you can eat experience. I mean, the to-go ordering, it's needed, but we, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, brand ourselves just off of to-go's with our service and things like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, we do pretty well with, you know, having a balance of the all three. Um, Dynamically, you know, that's kind of what sets us apart, though, is that we have that table service going on as well as that all you can eat aspect at the sushi bar counter. So it's just a unique experience when you come in.
0: I was gonna be really blown away if you guys were a straight up fast casual with a sushi chef. That was gonna be really no. impressive. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. No, no, no. But that makes no, more we're sense. Full yeah. And yeah. Full service. Got it. Mm-hmm. And so the quality that matches the full service experience. Tell me about innovation because I know I understand Trapper himself is a chef, is a sushi chef. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have these individual chefs in your restaurants who are preparing the food. Um, obviously, I'm sure you have a very set menu of here are the kind of roles we can serve. But with a, a sushi chef uh, within each restaurant, how much flexibility do you give them? Creativity, how much are they in charge of kind of the innovation of the menu at the restaurant?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we, um, we do a lot of like limited time roles and, and menu items and things like that. Um, our food and beverage director likes to get the chefs at the store level involved in that for creation ideas, things like that. A lot of the chefs will hit them up um, over text or email and say, hey, I have this really cool idea for a roll. Will you come in and try it? And we do that regularly. Um, hmm. We go in, I'll be, at a, I'll be at a restaurant and a chef's like, hey, will you try this roll? I, I want you to try it. It's really good. It should be on the menu. And I'm like, that should be on the menu and we'll put it on. Um, so a lot of the hmm. rolls on our menu, on our core menu have been created from chefs that worked. I mean, almost all of them created by chefs that have worked here. Um Obviously, Trapper and Timmy, you know, initiated the core menu that we had that started a way a lot, probably a third of what we have now, but everything else has come from our chefs at store level and their creativity. Um As far as on a day to day, how much, you know, creativity they can have. Um, the all you can eat is a good place for that. um we we let the chefs kind of, you know have build that rapport with the guests and see what they're looking for in a role. And as long as it's within reason, you know, we allow them to do um, you know their specialty role, let the guests choose something, you know, try something that they just made that morning and think is really good. Um, and it's really fun. And um, you know, as far as, For inventory reasons and operational reasons as you can imagine we got to keep some kind of you know control over that but um we do allow our chefs to be creative and and it's really it's a lot of fun seeing them passionate about it especially when you know they hit up the food and beverage director and they're like hey man i have the best role and i need you to try it and how excited they are it's it's really cool and um we featured a lot of chef roles in the past five years just on our limited times and like i said a lot of them have made it to the core menu um And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool. A lot of the chefs that are in my program, the Wingfield program, they're, they're very interested in the food and beverage director position. If it ever opens for that reason, the creativity of it, Mm -hmm. they're just so enamored by, by it. And, um, the cool thing about that is a lot of, a lot of the chefs we do have have never made sushi before. They were either cooks at a different capacity at a, at a restaurant somewhere else, or we taught them from dishwashing to all the way up to sushi chef. And the ones that do come from a cook, uh, a cook background um you know on a line uh, line situation they're like this is so different than cooking it is you're like molding food together and creating it and it's it's cool to kind of see that click and then they get passionate about the ingredients and the flavors and things like that going into the sushi so yeah we definitely have a lot of creative chefs here um that's one thing that that you know with with trappers that we have that a lot of restaurants don't because those those creative guys are front and center for the guests and they can They can kind of talk about, you know, what they're what's up for that day and what they what they tried this morning or on their lunch and they can let them sample it out. So it's really cool. Sure. Oh,
0: that is really cool. All right. So, Farah, you and I are talking here at the very beginning of 2024, um, looking ahead to this year, challenges and opportunities for 2024, starting with challenges. What do you as you look at the year ahead? What are what are some of the challenges that uh, Trappers is, is facing these days?
1: Um, I think the challenge, the biggest challenge is what we talked about a little bit ago is the scaling of the business. You know, how are we going to get there? Um, and, um, you know, t- trying to, trying just improve structurally, I think is always going to be a challenge, but also, you know, an opportunity because it's, you know, it's a constant thing. It's just, it's, it's never going to stop where we have to make changes, um, to how we're doing things in each department, um. But the scaling of the business is, is something that's, it's going to be the big challenge. And I want that. I, my goal is for that to be a lot more clear of how that's going to go at by the end of this year and a lot more clarity and confidence of, Hey, this is, this is how we're going to go grow. And this is how fast we're going to get there. Um, I know we're going to get there, but it's just the matter of having that and being able to convey, um, okay, this is X, Y, and Z. And this is the changes that need to be made. I think another big challenge is, too, is, um, you know, just continuing with the employee engagement, um, you know, and trying to get more more of these employees bought into, you know, what we're doing here at Trappers. We're, we have a great head start. But like I said, it's, you know, all a goal will be set and we just need to surpass that goal. So, um, you know, having that buy-in and making sure we keep the employees engaged is is super important um, for everything when it comes to our growth, um, even and to our guest service. So those are, those are the two big, big challenges that, you know, I've early this year is going to be kind of the top, top topic for me. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, I'm excited for it. It's, it's, it'll be good. So.
0: Sure. And then opportunities. What do you see as being kind of the big opportunities that lay ahead for the company?
1: Um, I mean, opportunities and for us to improve or, just yeah, personal
0: opportunities, company opportunities. What you, what are some doors you see opening that you would like to walk through? I guess proverbially. proverbially.
1: Yeah, I think I think you know building partnerships with um, these bigger companies that are going to be integrated in helping with our growth is is a big opportunity for us. I think that's really going to put us on the map as far as you know, setting us apart from just being this local restaurant from Washington to that national, you know, recognized brand. It's so, it's cool to see. I mean, having, having meetings just at, uh, last year with, you know, our marketing department and things like that and, and, and programs that they're bringing in to that and, and these big, these big, you know, names that, you know, are doing marketing for us now. It's really cool to see and, and seeing that brand recognition grow. Um, and it's just going to get bigger and bigger as we grow. Um, and I think that's a big opportunity for us as partnering and we relationships are really big um, and important to us at Trappers from, you know, employees to customers to vendors. And I think just seeing those those high level vendors flourish with our business and and um, it's it's really exciting to see, you know, to see Trappers as a as a name that people recognize, you know, all over and not just yeah. in you know the south sound of Washington. Um, and I think in turn, it kind of all connects together and that's going to be help, just help us with our growth and our success. Well,
0: very exciting. Uh, Farrah Scott, CEO of Trapper's Sushi Company. Really appreciate your time. Very excited to watch, to see uh, all the successes of Trapper's and your own personal success. So thanks again for taking some time.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: That was my interview with Trapper's Sushi Company CEO, Farrah Scott. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my six takeaways. My first takeaway is that if traditional franchising isn't for you, consider your employees to be your future owners. Trappers has this really cool program that they've really just started in the last couple of years. Uh, Farah went into detail on that program, how they are offering the opportunity for their employees to become owners and where Trapper, the founder, is providing that opportunity where he puts up all the upfront costs. They have a 49 51 ownership split. And really, Trapper's as a company throws all their resources uh, at helping that employee succeed as an owner. They have now one uh, fully functioning restaurant that is owned by somebody who was an employee. They have another one um, coming up. And the goal, as Farrah talked about, was to have 100 locations owned by people who were employees, came up through the ranks, and became an owner of a Trapper's. That is an extraordinarily ambitious goal, but I love that goal and I love this program. We've seen something similar to this in other companies. You know, you think about somebody like a Raising Cane's and they're Uh, restaurant partner program. And there are some other chains that have explored this um, opportunity for employees to essentially become owners. But this one feels to me the most ambitious and certainly feels the most all in on the employee and their success. Again, Farah talked about the fact that they want to set it up so that it's essentially impossible for that employee to fail as an owner because of All of the resources that the company gives them in being that owner. And this is an incredible opportunity for employees and certainly is one that is going to appeal to new employees coming into the system. But of course, keeping uh, existing employees around so that they can potentially become the owner of their own restaurant someday. My second takeaway is that restaurant employees should have a clear view of the opportunity ahead of them. So of course that ownership program is is one of the programs available to employees that they can see that as a potential in their future. Um, but Farah talked about this Wingfield program that I think is so cool, and, and this has 80 employees currently in it, and it is essentially the pipeline for future leaders, for trappers. So they've created this program to to develop these employees, invest in them, they identify that potential in the employee, and now they need to show them what could be ahead. But of course, as Farah said, you know it's not necessarily the CEO role. Farah herself provides an incredible, um, an incredible story of how somebody rose the ranks and became a CEO at Trappers. But there's only one CEO role. Meanwhile, the company still needs regional managers and and uh, other C-suite members. And there's plenty of opportunity at Trappers to rise the ranks and have leadership roles, and it doesn't have to be an owner either. This Wingfield program is how they're going to develop those people and lead them to those opportunities. But the point here that I'm trying to make is that it is a very intentional program, a very intentional infrastructure that employees know is available to them, and Trappers has shown them their potential trajectory. And that is critical to investing in employees and to getting them to stick around. Farah talked about the fact that their retention um, is is extraordinary. Their turnover is Half the industry standard because likely their employees see what is ahead of them, see the potential of making it a career if they stick around at Trappers. And I think that is a, a really interesting program that others really should emulate. My third takeaway is that taking care of your people will come back around to you in more ways than one, so piggybacking on, off of all of these um, you know programs that trappers is providing uh, the, where, where it comes back to them of course is lower retention rates, stronger recruitment efforts, um, so all the investments they put into employees they 're investing in their future leaders who can do business better, but of course, as we know. When you invest in your people, they will take care of your guests. Taking care of employees takes care of guests, and so Trappers is able to really fortify its position in the full-service uh, sushi category and in their local communities by taking care of the employees because it makes for better, happier employees who take care of guests. So that's one way it comes back around to Trappers. But again, you really can't—you um, can't say strongly enough how much uh, these programs they've developed are critical to the success of this company in the future because they have this incredible pipeline of future leaders who can sustain the growth that Trappers um, surely will have in the future. My fourth takeaway is that you should embrace constant evolution as part of accomplishing your goals. Farah has a big job ahead of her as CEO and she named several of the things she's thinking about these days um, as they prepare trappers for growth. Now that they're in three States, now that they're scaling, you know, she's thinking about supply chain. She's thinking about technology. She's thinking about all of the things that have to fall into place. This big puzzle she has to put together with help from her team. Um, and, and she said, you know, Part of growth is constant evolution, and you have to embrace that. If evolution and change scare you or if they put you off or distract you, you're going to have a lot of trouble growing and ultimately accomplishing the goals that you put in front of you because you're going to be kind of stuck in the past. So you know, Farah said you have to limit your distractions, and you have to focus intensely on that goal, and then all the evolution that comes your way on that journey, just embrace it and roll with it. And do what you can to accomplish that goal. If you do that, you have a better chance to succeed, better chance to hit that goal than if you were just, you know, swamped with all of the various distractions and all of the changes. And if you just wanted to hide in a hole and not embrace those. So think about how you can embrace constant evolution as a part of accomplishing your goals. My fifth takeaway is that sometimes you need to prioritize the needs of your consumers over authenticity. Uh, What I mean by that is, you know, authenticity, of course, is a huge buzzword these days. I've talked about it a lot in recent episodes. Um, Customers want authenticity. They're curious about what authentic means. We've talked about how, you know, that means something, especially in these days of social media and AI. However, as Farah points out, a lot of people will um tell trappers, "Oh, you're not authentic sushi, you're not authentic Japanese." But she says, "You know, they're not necessarily trying to be. They're trying to be more of that Americanized sushi concept." Because in the communities they're in, that's what they need to provide. That's what the community is looking for. So that's what I mean when I say you should prioritize the needs of your consumer over authenticity. And I'm not saying you should reject authenticity altogether and kick it to the curb, but consider, especially if in your, you're in a global menu category, consider how much authentic, authenticity that your consumers are willing to accept. If it's too authentic, sometimes that could become a deterrent to your customers because they're just not familiar with some of those flavors or formats. If you try to find a happy medium where you bring in some of that authenticity, but you also accept that maybe it needs to have uh, you know a little bit more of a, a spin to it that your customers understand. Sometimes you need to do that. So think about how you can really prioritize that um, the quality needs of your customer, you know, that great hospitality, great quality, great experience, over the authenticity if that's what they're looking for. My sixth and final takeaway is that chefs are a unique brand asset that you should consider making a bigger part of your experience. Chefs have been in the spotlight for many, many years now, so this is, it's not a secret that customers are interested in chefs. But I just wanted to call attention to how Trappers is doing that because I think it's really cool. Uh, Trappers has sushi chefs that Farah compared to like a sushi bartender, where if you go sit at the bar, you can have this all-you-can-eat sushi experience at the bar, and you're engaging directly with that sushi chef chef. Um, not a unique thing necessarily to, uh, of course there are plenty of authentic sushi restaurants that do this. Um, but, but just to make the point that, you know, at Trapper's how they've discovered the interest that customers have in that engagement, in that experience, it feels very unique to them to, uh, have this sushi provided directly from the chef who's put it together and that that's a main selling point for Trapper's in the communities it serves. I think it's really an interesting note because I think we should all consider how can other restaurants put that to use? Open kitchens have been a big trend for a while now. Of course, that's one way to direct the attention of the customer to um, the chef and have that accessibility to the chef. But are there other ways you can do that? That sushi bartender was the, the line that really stuck in my head. Is there, a, uh, is there a burger bartender, a sandwich bartender that you might employ at your your restaurant? How can you really take down the walls between the customer and the chef in a way that creates a unique experience to really engage your customer and get them to come back for more? Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.ocus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.